When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Will the Fed need to do more for longer? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With us today is Diego Paria, Portfolio Manager at Quadriga Asset Managers. Hi, Diego. Nice to see you. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for having me. So um, it's a fantastic time to catch up with you, given all of the sort of macro things that are going on in the market, so many different asset classes having an influence on each other. And I think we saw a, little, a lot of nervousness in the markets today. I mean, it's been kind of a, a volatile week, but we saw a lot of nervousness today as we wait for that big payroll number out in the U.S. tomorrow, Friday morning. Um, a lot of concern about what that's going to mean for Fed policy. How are you thinking about this market environment right now? Where's your focus? Well, I guess one of the biggest themes is uh, what I would define as uh, monetary divergence. Uh, we basically have central banks around the world uh, taking uh, quite different paths. And I would probably break it down in, in three groups. One is the, the Federal Reserve, which is basically pushing ahead with the hikes. Uh, everyone is behind the curve, but, uh, but the Fed is the one that is leading the charge. They, they, they have to do it. They can do it. They, they are doing it. And they will do it until something breaks. And I think at the speed and, and size in which things are happening, things are bound to break either domestically or, or externally uh, through dollar debt, etc., uh, the second group, I, I would say, are central banks like the ECB that are, in a way, hiking and easing at the same time. So they're reluctantly hiking rates, uh, well, uh, from, from negative nominal yields, which was a massive mistake that I think they finally uh, acknowledged, um, to, to at least positive uh, yields. But uh, as you notice, uh, at the same time as they were hiking, they can't afford for yields to go and uh, peripheral bonds uh, like Spain or Italy to, to blow up. So they're in effect uh, putting together a program that it's de facto yield curve controlled. So they are in a way putting the brake in the, uh, uh, you know, trying to hike rates at the same time, ready to, to ease aggressively. Uh, and I think there's a third group, people like China that are, in my opinion, in, in, in deep trouble and, and actually easing. So this, this monetary divergence is very meaningful. It has a big impact on the dollar. It has a big impact on uh, on exchange uh, rates, how inflation has been exported in a way. And unlike previous uh, currency wars, where it was all about you know bigger dynamic and 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 in a way gaining competitive advantage, this time around uh, the the Fed is is much more comfortable and happier with a strong dollar as they are kind of passing the problem. So I think this monetary divergence how people are able and dealing with inflation uh, in different ways is, uh, is really what's uh, driving things. And this is happening, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a world where there was pre-existing fragility, you know, bubbles that are certainly too big to fail and a lot of hidden risk that we're starting to see and more, more to come. You know, last week we saw, uh, you know, the UK and, and issues on, on uh, UK pensions which nobody had in the radar. And, and I think there's way more to come as this volatility and, and divergence uh, takes further strength.
I think that's such a great way to put it, um, and especially that point about this hitting a world, a global economy that's already fragile and had some hidden risks. Well, as you were talking about that central bank divergence, I, I kept thinking about sort of you know a, a playground schoolyard game where everyone's pulling on strings like with different strength, and and it's sort of like a group tug of war, and somebody falls over something the rope breaks somewhere, you know, and, and it's a really frayed and fragile rope. That was the image that was coming to my mind as you were talking about that. And it, it's such an accurate description, it feels like, of what we're going through. The minute you say something will break, they will go until something breaks. I know we're going to have a ton of questions about that. I can I can hear it right now. So if any of you listening um, want to comment, head over to the chat on the YouTube page or tweet us using the hashtag AskRV. We'll get them in and try to get as many to Diego as we can. Um, you'll know from hearing me talk about it all week, the live chat function on our platform is temporarily disabled as we upgrade. So if you were used to commenting there, go ahead and throw them in the comments page or head to the YouTube chat or to Twitter. Um, and that's where you'll be able to, to get them um, to get them in. And we're going to get it to as many as we can. So it's interesting, um, Diego, because uh, Jim Bianco tweeted out earlier, caught our eye, that the probability of a 75 basis point hike on November 2nd is increasing now in the low 80% range. Uh, range and he was saying at 8:30, you know, is is either going to go up to 100% or it's going to collapse. I think speaking to the volatility that we're all feeling, um, this is a Fed who keeps messaging that they're going to keep going, and yet, you know, we saw and we hear from people that they're getting questions from clients still about a Fed pivot. You know, will they continue to hike through breaking something or? You know, is are they going to get that call from another part of the world saying, listen, it, you know, the system is faltering. We can't take it. I think that's why the pivot question won't die. What do you think? Well, clearly, central banks are, are trapped. Uh, they, they are trapped between two big problems. One is um, inflation and the other one is bubbles too big to fail. So the bad news is both are their uh, fault. <laughs> or they, but they, they created both in a way. So I think the negligence uh, of, of the past, not, not just months and years, but the decades, this complacency, this uh, idea that you can actually solve problems by, you know, printing money and, and, and debt, uh, it's, uh, it's proven to be a, um, a false. It's proven to be a misconception. You, you don't uh, solve problems by printing money and debt. You do a few things, you know, you delay the problem, you kick the can down the road, you effectively spend your way and borrow your way through the next generation. The second thing you do is you, you transfer the problem in through currency wars and its mirror image trade wars. You transform the problem into things like uh, inflation, which unfortunately lead to things like inequality and, and, and social unrest and, and, and wars. Um, and, and, and lastly, you, you enlarge the problem. You create these bubbles that are too big to fail. So uh, I think the damage is already done, sadly. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a situation where you, know, you took things, uh, yields, you know, to, to negative nominal yields. I mean, this was completely an aberration. It was uh, changing the, the rules of the game. It, it meant that you know, fixed income could, could trade to infinity. It, it meant lots of things that, you know, the put called parity relationship between equity and credit, the duration of the system, it was just completely crazy. And, and I think, you know, some of those imbalances are there and some we can see them clearly, some are, are hidden. 
And, uh, you know, I think the Fed is not just about inflation. It's, it's also about inflation expectations. This is when they really get worried. This is when things start to get out of control. And in some ways, I think the fact that they're hiking so fast, you know, 75 basis points is, is by all means uh, super high by historical standards. And they're not doing it once, they're doing it several times. Uh, it, 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 to me, it just shows, you know, it's the admission of their own mistakes and, and incompetence or negligence by, by uh, effectively ne neglecting the, the issue, which many of us could see coming. And, and by now, you're doing it so fast that we need to remember that monetary policy has a delayed effect. It's like, uh, you know, nuclear radiation or, or going to the, to the beach and getting all this sun. You look, feel okay until you get home at night and you're completely burnt. It, it, doesn't, it will take a little while for these hikes to, to go into the system. And I think, you know, as a word of caution, uh, we went through this in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a similar way in Q4 2018. And uh, you remember, uh, we took rates to two and a half percent and the expectations that we would go significantly higher and things started to happen. You know, GE was pretty much gone. Uh, Ambev, people that were uh, serial uh, buyers, you know, through debt started to blow up. We've gone past through those points, way past. And, uh, and we're edging for four and a half percent in a situation that, in my opinion, is significantly more fragile than it was. So. I think this uh, dynamic is, is tricky, is dangerous, but they are obviously showing their, their resolve towards inflation. I think they're correct in doing so. It's uh, a super big problem. And I think there's some really big things happening here. One of them is um, the acknowledgement that perhaps negative rates or even zero rates was a big mistake. Uh, and I think looking forward, we should, and we may be in a world of positive nominal yields. Um, the, the second question is, you know, to what extent will these massive hikes uh, break something and effectively create a recession that destroys demand and, and, and brings, uh, you know, uh, deflation or at least reduces the level of inflation? I think that's quite likely as well. Mm. Um, the big, big question comes, uh, what's next? Uh, are we going to be in a world where effectively real interest rates, nominal minus inflation, are positive, as the market is predicting today, or are we going to be forced to effectively do something and intervene to avoid the collapse? A little bit like what's happening in Japan or, or what I think Europe is positioning for, which is, look, I'm hiking rates, but I, I have to have a contingency plan through U-curve control which means I'm gonna print even more to, to prevent the bubble in credit collapsing. And what this means in my view is inflation structural, it's gonna remain very high, and therefore uh, we're gonna have deeply negative uh, real yields for the foreseeable future. And this is a very significant uh, change to what the market is pricing today. Wow, okay, so, so I think we have to take a step back and really absorb that. So I was thinking about this in a way of, um, can the central banks contain inflation and maintain financial stability at the same time, or do they have to sacrifice one for the other? And it sounds like you're saying they're going, they cannot maintain, they cannot hike rates at this pace or hike rates and push them up and leave them up without creating massive financial instability. They're going to cave, they're going to have to address that, and they're going to have to let inflation stay structurally higher. Is that right? Yes. 
100%. That has huge, first of all, okay. So um, let me get a, Let me get a question in first and then we'll, and then we'll backtrack from that incredibly important thesis and uh, underscoring you're saying the market is not priced for that at all, which is very important. So um, Tristan asking uh, on behalf of all of us, <laughs> when Diego, do you think, when will something break and what happens then? Thank you for the great job you're doing, he says as well. Well, I think things are already uh, happening. I mean, you see some of the pickup in volatility, some of the things that are happening. We've seen, if, if, it depends on what you're, where you're looking. Uh, but uh, to a certain extent, uh, perhaps one of the markets that is uh, the equity markets, which is the one that people look at the most, uh, have had what I would say is uh, a, a correction of excessive high levels. Uh, some of it is part through interest rates and, and, and duration and PE. Uh, I think next is going to be uh, how you are effectively looking at uh, margins and, and earnings and, and how valuations potentially uh, correct from that. But ultimately, what, what really matters, I mean, ultimately, equity markets are important, but the, the real strain in the system is credit. And, and credit has been, uh, has been under severe pressure for, for a while now. And, and as I mentioned, I think in some areas like um, Italy, Italian bonds, you know, which they were under a lot of pressure er earlier in the summer, you, you've actually had to come in and in some ways intervene to prevent uh, the, the yields from going and put in a, a lot of additional stress in the system. And, and I think Japan is also a good case study because they're uh, leading the way in, in, in the monetary side. And we saw this idea that I keep insisting, yield curve control is, is the word because ultimately uh, you have a situation where you build too much debt based on the idea that you know, at zero interest rates, I can afford infinity, uh, rates will never go up, inflation will never be a problem, and turns out that uh, inflation is a problem uh, and you can't let rates go up because you, you blow up. And, and when you try to control those yields by, guess what, printing more, <laughs> turns out that uh, your currency devalues aggressively. Look at what happened to dollar yen since they tapped on yield curve control. And effectively, the, the devaluation of the currency means uh, inflation. So uh, it's not just about the price of crude oil going up. It's also the price of crude oil in yen or euros or yuan. And so I think uh, there's just too many things happening. There's a lot of uh, stress. I, I keep also talking about uh, not just the obvious leverage that we can see, uh, also hidden leverage. And, and one of the things that worries me a lot and we pay a lot of attention to is volatility. Uh, if you think about how people look at risk, you know, the concept of value at risk, uh, the famous VAR, uh, it's very much a function of, of uh, volatility, but it has other very critical dimensions. And when things go wild, when the VIX breaks 40, uh, you know, uh, I, I use the analogy that markets are a bit like... Uh, fluid mechanics. You know, we have a laminar regime when things are linear, predictable. And then once you go into, you know, chaotic, into, into turbulent, uh, you know, things, things dramatically change. And I think this is, I'm using 40 in the VIX as a kind of finger in the air is, is, uh, is a good reference. But at that level, two plus two is no longer four. What mm -hmm. I mean is as volatility explodes and your value of risk explodes, and if you're a day trader, you last two minutes, if uh, you get margin calls, suddenly uh, you start to have forced liquidation, deleveraging this creates 
and starts to impact the second key variable, which is liquidity. Things start to thin out, people get more nervous, everybody has the same positions, and then guess what? Correlations start to polarize. And, and we've seen you know, uh, Ray Dalio, old weather fund, having probably the biggest losses ever uh, because of this idea that you would be protected by correlation. And turns out that correlation is, is flipping in a way that not only you're not protected, you actually have hidden leverage. So I just caution against some of the things that are happening. And, and uh, so far, you know, we haven't really had a proper break in the VIX. If we had uh, a volatility, which is already super high in effects. I mean, look at the euro, mm. which has been for ages with a five, six handle is trading, you know, 14% vol or sterling, which is gone. I mean, I think the equity volatility uh, on a relative basis actually doesn't seem that high. And uh, it's been very disappointing, but I think, I think if it breaks, uh, it's going to show that, uh, that process. And I think the relationship between volatility and equity markets is very powerful. It's a bubble anti-bubble relationship. And, and it's very dangerous because when volatility is artificially low, you get people sucked into, into buying the market. You know, trend followers, risk parity, vol target are forced to buy the market. And then when volatility spikes, they, they need to effectively uh, throw everything out. And so these are relatively mechanical process that we see in the markets. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, risk and volatility are going to be very high. Mommy and daddy are no longer there coming to, to the rescue. It's going to be a much more open game. Uh, inflation, I think, is structurally high, uh, which also changes the dynamics uh, of, of the game. So major winners and, and, and obviously major losers, uh, more importantly. And, uh, and yeah, so I think this is, is going to be a volatile uh, and, and, and risky world. And, and don't get me started with geopolitics and, and other external dynamics that are uh, yeah. uh, I know it is, it's fraught, right? And so, I mean, it sounds like for all that, you know, a lot of people open up their, you know, retirement fund, they look at their equity portfolio and they think, oh my God, it's been horrible. Um, it's been so bad all year that, you know, maybe we're turning a corner and maybe we're putting a base in. I hear you say this is the warm-up session. Like there are there are hidden risks, there's hidden leverage, there are things going on that we're just starting to see crack and that the big show is still to come. Look, I don't have a crystal ball and I, I'm not going to claim that, uh, you know, we know exactly what's, what's going to happen. But clearly, I think we are in a new paradigm shift. Uh, you know, things have changed. And uh, I think uh, if you're trying to play these markets the same way as expecting the same behavior as, as the last 10 years, I think you're in for a, for a surprise. Things, things are changing. Things that work then are no longer working. In fact, are the worst thing you could do. And, uh, and look, it's, it's um, tricky to say, you know, I, I would agree that what we've seen has been painful, but it hasn't been by any stretch of the imagination uh, uh, distress in, in, uh, in, in, in a big way. Uh, and I, I don't know to, to what extent will they let these things go, as you, as you asked earlier, mm. will they just let it crack? Because the problem is once things start going, once, you know, things like the VIX really explodes and it triggers this mechanical process of forced liquidation and deleveraging, it's actually very difficult to stop yeah. because it, this, this is very mechanical. So uh, in, in some ways, uh, you know, I think we just, investors need to be cautious. I think the key thing is, when you build your portfolio 
um, you know, I, I always use these analogies, you know, like sporting analogies, but looking at a portfolio as a, as a football or soccer team, mm-hmm. you know, lots of people were playing with 11 strikers, you know, just, you know, not worrying about defense because uh, the referee would whistle offside or, or mommy and daddy will come uh, to the rescue with the central bank put. I think this is uh, is, is going to be a bit more tricky, and, and perhaps uh, eventually we will have that uh, mommy and daddy effect through yield curve control and other ways. But uh, but they have to fight inflation, and and again, this is uh, all just things that are, are have been uh, created through this monetary and fiscal abuse. So can, can you uh, have we seen enough? I don't think so. Um, how, when will it happen? How how aggressive? Time will tell. But there are, uh, you know, a lot of things that are uh, already happening, perhaps more fragile than than we appreciate, um, and I'm sure the central banks are are monitoring uh, closely. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah. And, you know, this has been said many times recently, but bears repeating that, you know, when the genie is out of the bottle, um, it is very hard. You're kind of sweeping up the debris if they're pivoting. So the fa- the idea that that would be a, a positive market, um, you know, event is is not. It, it, there is there would be widespread damage that was unleashed. You know, much like the hurricane we just saw in Florida, and you know, it may be part of the cleanup, but you don't want to be in that in that you know that zip code when that happens. You you said something really interesting in one of your notes that you sent over that I want to get your thoughts on. And you say we're talking about being defensive and investors being careful in this environment. And you say investors confuse a portfolio of many things with a diversified portfolio. That seems to me to be an extremely important point. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I often talk about the idea of what I define as false diversification. And, and this is basically confusing two, two things. Uh, my portfolio has a lot of things and my portfolio is diversified. I'm sorry to tell you, uh, a portfolio with many things is not necessarily diversified. And I will use a bad example, but you know, if your portfolio has 20 cryptos, you're not diversified. You probably have just one trade. So in that sense, that effect, it's happened in a, in a bigger macro scale. Uh, and, and guess what? If your portfolio, and this is a very common mistake, right? Investors like to see their 20 lines in their portfolio green all at the same time. Guess what? If all the 20 lines are green, you might see all 20 lines red. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's in a way... This idea, first of all, you know, uh, thinking about the portfolio as everybody needs to score goals. They're all strikers. They just make a ton of money. And, uh, and, and it's ironic, but uh, financial insurance tends to be cheapest when you need it the most. Uh, it's, it's often when the markets are super high, implied volatility is low. Nobody wants to buy the insurance. And then uh, th- things happen, and, uh, and suddenly everybody is, is, is rushing for the, for the insurance. And, and in my opinion... You know, the, the, going back to the analogy that the portfolio is, um, is like a team, uh, at the end of the day, you're the coach. You decide, okay, how do I want to play? How do I, you know, what's the strategy? And what are the players that I'm going to put in the field? Uh, 
Uh, do I want strikers, midfielders, defenders, goalkeepers? And some of them you do your own, some, some others you, you outsource. I mean, we are effectively a defensive macro volatility player. And, and, uh, and, and ultimately, this is not about having a crystal ball as the coach to say, oh, the next 10 minutes, we're only going to attack. So let's just put 11 strikers. Um, or, you know, maybe they will come and shoot occasionally. No, this is a structural game. You need to build a portfolio. And, you know, Barcelona football team, when they play a third division team in the Spanish Cup, they still have a goalkeeper. They still have four defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that you might win the match doesn't mean, you know, let's just go all in. And I think this, uh, you know, it's very obvious when I say it like this. And some people perhaps thought that some of their players were defenders. Uh, but turns out that, uh, you know, the, the, the correlations could change. And I think this is the reason why, again, going back to the old weather fund from Ray Dalio, you see this uh, larger than, than usual losses because they were relying on some players to be defenders when, in fact, they, they weren't. They, they were, you know, doing own goals and all sorts of stuff. So this is very important to, to drive your car uh, looking through the, through the front, uh, not, not through the, the rear uh, mirrors, because if you look through the rear mirrors, then you're bound to, to have some, some surprises. So past correlations, past relationships worked in the past. But things are changing, and we're in a new paradigm shift where you need to think about uh, things uh, differently. So very, very important that people uh, understand the risk of false diversification, because ultimately it leads to more risk than they thought, and perhaps levels of risk that they can't tolerate, and effectively lead to forced liquidation, which is you know, one of the worst things that can happen. You want to be in a situation where when the crisis comes, you're in a position to take advantage of it. Uh, if 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 uh, if you if you have hidden leverage or excessive leverage, chances are you're going to be completely blown out of the way and uh, and taken out, which uh, is is not the idea. I, I, I it's such fantastic advice. I mean, this is a masterclass in how to deal with the kind of environment we're in now. Um, in this macro space. And when we say that, right, we mean big picture. It's not just equities, it's bonds, it's currencies, it's stuff, frankly, you know, some of us may have not been laser focused on. Not the case with Michael. We're going to try to get some questions in here and see if we can steal a little bit more time away from Diego. So we can, these questions are fantastic, by the way, folks. Michael asked, great right this month. Thank you. Can you suggest asymmetric ways for retail to play play, excuse me, play the Hong Kong dollar break. This is one of the, <laughs> I know, currency pairs that you are looking at closely and you see a lot of strain in this space, right, Diego? Yeah, look, I, I think the ultimate view is is on China. Um, you know, and I go back to the previous question where, uh, you know, we discussed monetary divergence. I think it, uh, we have a very clear case between the US and China. Uh, it's, it's no secret I've been um, you know, uh, I, I believe China is possibly one of the greatest bubbles ever uh, on the infrastructure space, on the on the real estate, on, and and there's so many levels where perhaps China is is in a situation that uh, will force them to do more of the same, which is you know bailing people out, nationalizing stuff, providing subsidies, and uh, you know spending and borrowing. And one of the key things to understand is that all these things eventually lead to uh, currency devaluations. Uh, 100% of the time, when you abuse monitoring fiscal, it leads to currency devaluations. This is the degree of freedom in the system. And I think the yuan has been 
position itself as a as a the nurse the next uh, kind of contender for reserve currency uh i i respectfully disagree um when you look at hong kong uh and i i did a podcast a little while ago they asked me for for one trade idea i said look let's pick up something that it's perhaps not not in, in everyone's radar but it is effectively uh linked to the china weakness in some ways I expect the China weakness to materialize, the yuan to go, which we're seeing now. So we're very heavily positioned in, in insurance through options there. Uh, and as you do that, you kind of see one of the next pieces of the domino uh, further down being the, the break of the Hong Kong dollar, which I think in hindsight, we might look at this and say, well, it was so obvious, right? I mean, 39 years, uh, it survived amazing stuff. But look, it's, uh, a lot of things have happened. But if this was, uh, uh, you know, the, for, for the Hong Kong to be pegged to the dollar through a currency board means that they need to follow the steps of the, of the Fed on a basis point by basis point. So I'm just going to make one point. You know, this is probably one of the most uh, or biggest uh, uh, bubbles in real estate in the world. Um, and uh, now interest rates are going to be up four, five, six, seven percent. So you, you, you don't need to be a genius to understand that there are going to be a lot of things and a lot of pressure uh, and, and obviously many other things adding up. So that I think it's, uh, you know, you could have the counter argument that they're sitting on plenty of reserves, which is true. Uh, my counter counter argument is why spend precious uh, bullets called dollars to defend the undefendable. So mm -hmm. I, I elaborated on this uh, and, and Mike, I think uh, picked up on it. I got a lot of questions, people saying, how do I play it as a retail level? Uh, look, I, I, I don't know uh, exactly which brokers might offer. Uh, what, what we do and the way we're doing it is, is through options. Uh, the beauty of what we do is that we spend premium and I, I sleep at night very well because I know that with 100% certainty, I cannot lose more than my premium. Uh, if you're playing this through, through outright uh, forwards, which might be easier to access, uh, be careful with the leverage because even if it's a high conviction play, uh, anything can happen. We saw it with the with the Swiss franc back in 2015. So in that sense, I, I, I I'm sure there are ways to do it. Uh, our favorite way, which we do at, at a institutional level, is is uh, basically through through options. But uh, but yeah, there might be other indirect ways. I'm mm. I'm sorry, I don't have access to exactly which broker offers what. But uh, but I think it's an interesting play. It's obviously not as relevant in the day to day, and perhaps it might be still a while away. So we, yeah. we have uh, options that play over the medium term. It's not an event that might happen in the next three months. But uh, but it's fascinating, you know, the whole dynamic of China and this divergence and what it means. Because chess, you know, macro is a bit like a chess game. You want to and, 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 and you need to be early in the game. And, and I'm very happy being very early in this, accumulating large size of artificial stuff that uh, eventually I think two plus two uh, should be four. But uh, I'm sorry, Mike, I don't have a, a broker to, to direct you to, but uh, but I, I'm sure there, there are ways to do it. Uh, I think that I think that's a great overview, um, Diego. And, um, you know, Ralph also pointing out there are some peril. If you do that, you, you really need to understand what you're doing so that you don't get caught up from the risk of the. If you're looking medium term, the risk of the shorter term bar, bear market rallies, which could come up. And um, I, I think this is a great, you know, Weston has been all over uh, 
uh, the currency situation, especially when it comes to China and Hong Kong. So, Ralph, I think we're going to kick that one to Weston and get him to dive a little deeper into um, some strategies around that. It's something that he's been on and been flagging really early. Um, and Diego, this is exactly why we're doing, as part of our Make or Break series, a, a focus entirely on China. Um, also geopolitics, the two, a lot of these crossover, right? There are bridges between all of these um, shows that we're doing, but you're right. China is like all roads are leading back to what this enormous part of the global economy, what these policymakers do. I think it's going to be critical. I'm going to sort of swing it back over to the Fed because we've got a couple of different questions um, and I'm going to string them together because they're all related. Corey is asking, when we reference a Fed pivot, what are we actually referring to? A surprise change in policy or just a change in policy, I expect the market responds differently to that. And in the same vein, um, SBD758 asking, is the risk of something breaking in the corporate bond market higher than in the sovereign bond market? And what does a Fed pivot entail? Is it just a pause or is it bailouts of specific things in markets? Do we go back to QE? You know, how are you thinking about that, that Fed pivot, if it were to happen, Diego? Uh, all very good questions. I guess, I guess uh, the starting point is where is the market um, thinking and pricing today? And, and you're looking at uh, expectations that are going to take us close to four and a half percent on, on Fed funds by Q1 next year. And this is going to come through a number of hikes that are expected. Uh, the the concept of the, the the market is that's what's pricing, but uh, then it's sort of looking for uh, those uh, hikes to reverse in some way. The pivot would be the idea that you change completely pace. You go from okay hiking to, of course, first pausing, but but I think then cutting. And I think uh, that this this divergence between hikes and, and cuts explains why volatility on, on the rate space and effects is, is so high. Um, what's going to trigger that um, goes back to the previous questions. Obviously, uh, at the sovereign level, it's interesting because theoretically the Fed or the US will never default because you can print infinite dollars. So you, you will pay back your obligation but you will pay back into something that is worth a lot less because you've printed many green papers to, to pay it back. Uh, the issue comes uh, from people who are issuing or borrowed in a currency that they cannot print. And this is why I think the, 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 the move in the Fed, I was saying things will break domestically or uh, abroad. I think the, there's a risk that people that we're borrowing in dollars simply because nobody would lend them in their own currency. <laughs> uh, let's face it. Uh, you know, they they, uh, they they might not be able to, to repay this debt because the service in the debt is higher through higher rates, but also the amount of debt in their local currencies increase. So you get a double whammy of pain on, on emerging markets that are effectively borrowed. And that could apply, uh, you know, to, to sovereigns as well as corporates. Uh, the reality is is both. I mean, you, you just look for people that are overly indebted, you know, either, uh, you know, it could happen anywhere. Think about private equity, right? People that mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, have been funded, these things are not mark to market, and they might be taking ginormous bets on buying companies and huge leverage behind it, thinking, look, uh, 
we're going to turn this thing around and make uh, gazillions. I think there's a huge problem in, in, in private equity in the making and, and, and many other places, you know, that, uh, that potentially took too much debt uh, and, uh, and, and they, they may or may not be able to, to service that debt. And perhaps the businesses they bought may or may not be as good as they thought. <laughs> so, uh, so in that sense, the, the pivot could come and I think will come depending on the severity of, of these things. But in some ways, it's ironic that the better the equity markets hold, and the more the Fed hikes, uh, the, the bigger the, the, the effect is going to be later. So, you know, people that are cheering in some ways that the equity markets are holding and they can cope with these hikes, I think uh, should be holding off, uh, holding their brakes because this is, uh, I, I would almost prefer that the market has a bigger correction now uh, rather than pretend that they are, uh, you know, uh, able to, to sustain this, because if the Fed keeps going, this thing we know is going to crack, yes or yes. So that's that's really interesting. So it would at least signal to them that their policies working, animal spirits are being tamped down, and instead they don't really see that. So we're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, if I'm I'm thinking, you know, the takeaway for all of us, and we're gonna I, I, we have so many good questions. We're going to have to get you back, Diego, and do some sort of <laughs> special YouTube or uh, Twitter spaces or something. We're going to work on that behind the scenes because there's just so much. We're going to look back and really, you know, have needed to hear some of this and and this stark warning. But my takeaway from all of it is that you're saying that, um, you know, the central banks are not going to be able to do, but they're not going to be able to rein in inflation without causing financial instability, the system's fragile, there are hidden risks, there's hidden leverage that we can't see that is going to blow up. The longer equities rally, the longer everything seems okay, the more aggressive they are, the bigger the blow up um, that could be coming. And that means we're going to be stuck with a system where that's blown up, a, a central banks that are pushing interest rates back to low or zero, sort of sustaining that Bizarre I think that's an important. Way. I think on the on the right side, you know, one of the big questions for me is, you know, uh, will will they bring rates back to to zero? Mm. And um, I'm not entirely sure that we go all the way back to zero because okay. I think they should by now know that rates at zero or negative were actually get, what got us here in the first place. So I think you might see. Uh, you, you don't have to bring rates to zero to print money. You could do QE at 2%. Why not? Ah. Right? So, so in that sense, it, it might well be that uh, they realize, look, we need positive nominal yields. Uh, the, the, the zero negative was emergency and aberration, um, which means in some ways that fixed income actually has less defending power than we thought. Because uh, for the sake of argument, if, if you're... 10-year uh, treasury yields 4% and yields went to zero, you know, roughly speaking, you could make 40% uh, gains, right, on capital. So that's, that's a good defender because it will give you 40% in capital gains. If yields go to two, 
you don't enjoy that full defending upside in, in some ways. Uh, and that's a consideration for, for the portfolio. But the biggest thing, to be honest, of this new regime is that I think we've effectively, uh, I have teenager kids. So I would say, look, if, if investing was a video game, you have three levels, right? Uh, level one is you're trying to make money in nominal terms. And this is the way we've played for decades. Okay, so here's Maggie, here's $100, uh, give me back 105. Okay, so we're thinking in, in, in nominal terms. We thought in nominal terms uh, because inflation was negligible, largely. Okay, I think we're now in level two. I might, you might come back to me and say, hey, I made 105 and I tell you, well, in fact, inflation is 10%, you lost me five. Once you move and your brain realizes and understands that we're actually playing a different game, it's no longer about earning, you know, your one, two, three percent. It's, it's, it, you know, effectively keeping your purchase power and inflation. It becomes way, way harder, right? You have this level two. And the problem is that when you're in level two, uh, things that work really well in level one, such as fixed income or credit uh, or cash uh, in some ways, uh, would actually be terrible because, you know, Think about it. I mean, not long ago, you, you would lend someone to take 100 euros and give it to someone or lend it to someone for 30 years, and they would give you back less than 100. But let's assume that they just give you back, uh, you're lucky and they just give you back your <laughs> 101, okay? Uh, those 101 euros in 30 years are going to buy you nothing. Mm. When I say nothing, is nothing, okay? So you're effectively short inflation when you have investments in fixed income and credit. And I don't think people have fully realized yet. Uh, and this comes from the fact that, you know, real yields are price positive. But if you live in a world of negative positive, negative uh, real yields, um, this is a major consideration of where you park your money to protect that, that capital. So that, that is, I think, one of the dynamics that people don't quite understand. And as I said, in addition to the risk and the vol and, and the carry element, the striker defender, you need the additional consideration of, of inflation. And just to finish the picture, uh, people might be uh, asking what's level three. Uh, level three is, is uh, can you make money in real terms after taxes? And, and, and I think wealth taxes in particular are going to be massively higher. And this is Ironically, the way in which uh, central banks and governments square the circle, they have a problem, they don't really fix it, they just kind of print and borrow their way out. This creates uh, inflation, asset bubbles, inequality, and then you decide to fix it by basically taxing those bubbles you create in the first place. So it's kind of uh, sad, the, the whole thing, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's what it is. So I think we are now decisively in level two, and, and, and we will see... And, you know, how structural that inflation is, uh, because don't fool yourselves. I mean, inflation, uh, of course, there's plenty of stuff on the, the war and tightness and lack of investment and bottlenecks. All that is true and is contributing. But the ultimate reason for inflation and what's really structural about this inflation is the monetary aspect, is, is the money printing and the debt. And that, I think, is something that uh, will be very difficult to to, to unwind and, and, and reverse. There's so much good stuff in here. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. I'm going to have to re-rack re this, Diego, and, and really uh, sort of think about it. We're going to, we're going to tease all these themes out um, and, and continue to talk about them and make some sense of it. As we close, we don't have time to go into a whole answer about this, but 
are there places that people can find safety and hide from this train that seems to be coming at us? Well, uh, look, it's, uh, I, I would say you need to basically build the right team. You need a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that portfolio should have equities and, and should have uh, different things. It's not like it's the end of the world. It's just going to the bunker and it's, it's all over. I think you need to embrace volatility. You need to be in a situation where no matter what happens, okay, there'll be rallies, there'll be things. You really need to be in a situation where you have, you know, no, you, no matter where the ball goes, your strikers are there. Maybe they'll score goals. The, you know, your goalkeepers will defend. You need to play this match with the entire team and you need to embrace volatility, not fight it. If your portfolio is currently very short volatility, every time volatility explodes, you're, you're dying, you have a problem. You need to mm -hmm. effectively find ways to get that protection. I mean, that's what we do as a, as a fund and there are other uh, people that specialize in this kind of stuff. You know, it's not just a tail risk, it's volatility per se, defensive assets. Um, I think, to be honest, uh, gold, which is very, very unloved uh, and has been for a while, I I'm actually quite constructive over the medium term. I think, you know, this Fed pivot that we discussed earlier, um, uh, part of the reason why gold has been doing very badly is the strength of the dollar and the expectations that uh, basically uh, rates will continue to go up and the fact that inflation will be under control. If you know, this didn't play out that way and that uh, pivot or, or pause came earlier, I think that is likely to be the bottom uh, for, for gold prices. And then you get other dynamics. Uh, a very important dynamic for gold is credit. Uh, it's an old adage in the, or adage in the, in the market where they say sometimes you, you care about the return on your capital and sometimes you care about the return of your capital. I think when credit events happen, it's a time when, when things like gold, physical, et cetera, have, I think, uh, a place. And, and the third thing we haven't talked about, which is extraordinarily worrying, is geopolitics. And, yeah. and I, think, I think last week took a very nasty turn uh, with the, the nuclear threats. And uh, I think, you know, once this referenda take place and, and, and Putin considers, uh, you know, this basically Russia motherland, there's room for miscalculation. So all, all those things, uh, I think gold proved earlier in the year, uh, it has been extremely disappointed ever, uh, ever since. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, you know, the credit, a reversal of the dollar or geopolitics uh, could, be, could be areas of interest. So I am uh, uh, very much a believer in gold over the medium long term. Uh, once again, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know exactly how low it can go, mm. but there's been extreme pain amongst, amongst many uh, investors. And in fact, I would argue that the trend was so strong that a lot of people might have been short along the way and perhaps still are. But, uh, but yeah, I think back, the answer is there's no one single place to hide. Build the right portfolio. Make sure that you're positioned to embrace volatility, whatever happens. And I think the danger, as always, is leverage. If you have excessive leverage in these markets, you are completely dead. So uh, whether you are aware of that leverage uh, because you just punt like crazy and, and borrow and sell your house and, and put it, you know, these things are terrible. But beware of hidden leverage as well, you know. And I think that's where 
perhaps uh, people like us have been playing a role to try. I'm not saying it's easy in any way, but try to provide uh, this this defense mechanism to 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 in some way uh, you know balance the portfolio a bit. But you you need all players, uh, and and this game is 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 very tactical, um, and things are changing. But uh, but yeah, that would be my my take. I think real estate is an interesting one. Uh, we might be heading for particularly, I mean, certain areas with super high rates might be heading for a lot of trouble. But over the long term, uh, with uh, basically uh, deeply negative uh, real yields, actually, it's not a bad place to be, um, provided um, you can uh, uh, you can survive and pay pay the pay the mortgage and and you don't have access and you have a job, etc. But uh, yeah. it's it's a fascinating market because things like real estate or oil or others could perfectly be in this you know short term down. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that makes the whole thing so much more difficult and why your portfolio needs to be uh, truly diversified and embrace this volatility and perhaps think long term and and make sure you you, you survive whatever happens but uh but yeah it's absolutely not, it's not easy it's not easy it's not it's not i know even for people who have a lot of experience like you these are these are tricky times but diego we so appreciate this was like a double a twofer for all of you we appreciate all uh -huh. of you sticking around too but it's really important to you know, to try to make sure you take all of this in and do what you can to preserve the money that you worked really hard uh, to, to, you know, earn and put away and save. So we hope that, you know, these different perspectives help you do that. Um, I think Diego's shot actually froze. Maybe Skype is trying to tell us something, but Diego, we can still hear you. So thank you so much. We're going to try to figure out how to get you back on so we can get some of these questions in um, because it was just fantastic. So thank you. And thanks to all of you for putting in all those good questions. We appreciate it. Um, want to give you a, a heads up. We, of course, will be watching that jobs number tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be doing a deep dive on the labor market. We will be back with our daily briefings on the crypto daily briefing. Um, Ash is going to have Rao live taking questions. So we didn't talk about any uh, Bitcoin or ETH or what role that might play in a portfolio, but they'll be all over that tomorrow. So get your questions ready for that. That's going to be live. Ask me anything. Uh, and then I'll be back with Peter Bookbar tomorrow at 4 p.m. So thanks so much for your extra time today. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.